Dadhood. Modern Dadhood Podcast. <laughs> hey, Mark. Hey, Adam. My friend. How are you? I'm I'm well. Th- all things considered, I'm well. There's been one bout of sickness after another in this household. Some large parts of the house were covered in vomit. I'm not going to tell you Ooh. which parts of the house. You'll just have to guess if you ever come over. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, but both kids were back at daycare today, and it's been a long haul getting back to this this point. Yeah, I happen to happen to know you guys have had a pretty rough go of it for the last well, couple of weeks. More. Yeah, we, we've had a real collective like rumble going on in the old tumble. You know what I mean? <laughs> All the bellies in this household have, have been struggling just a little bit, but I think we're on the mend. We're cresting the hill. We're getting back to normal. This podcast that you're listening to is called Modern Dadhood, and mm-hmm. we say that it's an ongoing conversation about the joys challenges and general insanity of being a dad in this moment and today's episode is going to be a great one our guest is it come on man that was a close that's not really rude it's disgust a... how many burps did you stack before you just let that one creep out that's a cl- that was a closed mouther you know i'm disgusted impressed you mean is that what you said i didn't my audio <laughs> a little cut bit out. of me is impressed <laughs> My audio cut out. Why don't you tell us who you are? My name is Mark Checkit, and I am a dad to twin boy, so close to four-year-olds. It You've is. You've been saying that for nope, months. Nope. Believe you me, this will be the last time you hear me say that because when this episode is out there hitting the old ear holes of our listeners, my boys will be four years old. And my name's Adam Flaherty. Uh, I'm a father of two girls who are eight and five. Eight and five. You think that makes me feel like a like a young, spry man? No, <laughs> no. I'm right there with you. I don't. No, I don't feel young, nor do I feel spry anymore. <laughs> I've, I've become okay with the fact that my body just kind of aches a lot now, and I get up a few times in the night to pee. Use a walker to get. <laughs> You're using a walker now. Oh, I'm just practicing. I'm just practicing. I don't have to use it. I'm just practicing. Got to get right good now. at it, though. Yeah. No, I do feel old from time to time, though. I'm finally getting to the like for much of my adulthood. I've I've felt like a just a child. Like I've been in many adult situations where I've looked around and felt I'm just a child. I shouldn't even be here. <laughs> um, and it's it's finally after four years of being a dad that that. Those kinds of feelings are finally going away, and I'm 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 starting to feel like an like an actual real life adult now. Well, good for you, man. Welcome to adulthood. It's taken some time. Thanks, man. Anyway, you were saying our guest today is an accredited nutritionist and dietitian. His name's Joel Farron, and I can't wait to ask him about some of the stuff that's going on in my house right now that pertains to diet and nutrition. Yeah, I got a few. <clears throat> I got a few questions for him. Not going to lie. Knowing that he'll be here any minute, I I even hesitate to open up the, uh, I even hesitate to ask this question, but what, what, what's your relationship with food? Like, do you feel like you've got a good relationship with food? 
Uh, so here's the thing. I'm very aware of food. I'm aware of my cravings. I'm aware of my weaknesses. Mm. I'm aware of portion and like how often I'm eating throughout the day. But I do struggle with it for sure. Like mm. I struggle with portion size. I struggle with snacking. I definitely struggle with sugar. But, I, you know, I also sort of understand the concept of like building habits, you know, and mm. that if I can get myself into a groove with something like whether it's exercise or whether it's diet related or whether it's, you know, a, a meditation schedule, you know, five days a week, I just need to do it and I need to be dedicated to it and it needs to be, I need to be like regimented mm -hmm. and I can commit to it. It's you, just a matter of doing that. Do you feel like it's always been like that for you or did, was your relationship with food like maybe different before kids versus after having kids? I think exercise changed for me a lot uh, when I yeah. had kids. I had a pretty regular, steady, good exercise routine before kids. And then that went out the window mm -hmm. at least, you know, temporarily. And I mean, temporarily, I mean like years before I got back into exercise, but food didn't change all that much. I think where it changed for me, and I don't know exactly the point was when I was growing up, like conversations with my parents around food were more like, if you eat too much garbage, you're, you know, you're going to be mm. overweight and unhealthy. They shamed but, you. Well, it wasn't like shaming. <laughs> of course not. So the, the change for me happened at some point, maybe like in college or after college when I started to see maybe like my metabolism changing mm, yeah. and really took it upon myself to start just making decisions, making like informed decisions about my health. You woke up one morning on the fraternity couch covered in chips and white crumbs. <laughs> yeah. Just cheese, no, cheese curls, like... just, just <laughs> orange cheese curl <laughs> dust all over your head. You didn't even know what happened the night before you had to piece it together. I have I don't I wouldn't say I've ever had a a problem with food and I wouldn't say that I was like an overweight kid. It's just that there wasn't that much of a focus on the conversation and that's fine. Um but had I had a little bit more regulation over what I was choosing to eat, it may have sort of set the groundwork for just better healthier choices moving forward. That was my story growing up. What about you? What yeah. about your, your relationship with food growing up? Yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't know that like the conversations were there with my family around healthy eating versus eating too much junk food. I mean, my dad was a dentist, so we didn't exactly have like a lot of candy laying around. Mm -hmm. um, but like, he also had a sweet tooth, so he was like realistic about it. On one hand, we had food on the table every single night. That was, that was the food thing from, you know, when I think back to like childhood, to, to me, meal, it, there was like meal time. And it was, you know, dad's home from work. I've done my schoolwork, my homework for the, for the night. It's sit down at the dinner table and you sit and you eat a meal. And and I feel really fortunate that I kind of grew up in a household that was like that. Absolutely. And the um, same, same. Yeah. Year. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, and I, I mean, in, you know, to it, to a certain degree, I'm, I'm hope to sort of replicate a part of that, but it just like thinking back to that time, having this conversation and, and about food, you know, in relationship to food around childhood makes me think back to the fact that like we grew up. <laughs> 
in an interesting time. It was the eighties, nineties, uh, food, particularly kids, you know, cereals and junk food and things like that was this stuff was like marketed really heavily directly to us as children. Yeah. So in my house, we didn't necessarily talk about food. and, And I mean, you know, you know, I knew what the food groups were, you know, uh, and, and I knew that some foods were bad and some food, but like, f- like the idea of the stuff that you put in your body, like it was, there was such a disassociation from any of the health benefits, anything for like a large part of like the food that I know that I knew existed at the grocery store, you know, like I wanted foods because I saw them on cartoons. Yeah. You know, and my mom and, and, you know, to their credit, my mom and dad were very much like, they kind of didn't care what I wanted. They just, they just went to the grocery store and they just got the groceries they always got. Sure. You know, so we always had Cheerios at the house. We never had name any other Captain Crunch, <laughs> Lucky Charms, cereal. I think we, I think I was able to get honeycomb for a while. Oh, oh nobody liked honeycomb. <laughs> oh, it was so the way that it like, the, the way that it like didn't, it, it was like oil and water with milk. It like, <laughs> like the milk stayed separate from it somehow. It was, it was amazing. And they were, they were um, so big too, right? Like you could like yeah, fit one in your mouth. Yeah. And they would just destroy the roof of your mouth. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was no skin left on the roof of your mouth. Oh, Captain Crunch was the same honeycomb. way. Just oh, tear you to shreds. Those crunch berries were worth it though, man. It hurts so good. Yeah. (laughs) I think back to that and I think, I I feel like I have a kind of a weird disjointed, you know, view of like what kids are supposed to eat. You can look in, you can read into it, read, you know, I don't know, just Google like Reagan era kids TV programming slash food. And you'll find like information about, you know, the FCC and there were groups that were formed to try to say like, maybe we shouldn't market directly to children. Maybe it's problematic. Right. The the shows were basically propaganda to sell toys and games and, mm-hmm. and junky food. Right. hundred percent. Well, here's the question though is, so we don't have cable, right. And we haven't had cable probably since our eight year old was born and we subscribe to Netflix Disney mm-hmm. Plus, Hulu, Amazon, but you know that's all content on demand. And when you pay for the subscription, in most cases, you're not dealing with the ads. If we paid for cable and my girls were watching, let's say, I, I don't know if Saturday, the idea of Saturday morning cartoons exists, I, but if it I don't does, know. which it probably doesn't, but like, let's say they're watch, they were watching Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm they're still going to get a lot of those same types of ads. So like, I don't know, has it changed and we're just not attuned to it anymore because the way that we consume content has shifted. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just know that I have from my kids looking at my kids and their association with food and you know, what, what is healthy eating and all of that kind of stuff. I'm like sensitive to it. You know, sure. Um, I, because I because I don't want for them what I had for at least a period of time in my childhood, which was this like burning desire to have you know fruit by the foot or whatever. You know, I'm trying to think of some of the other ridiculous. Dunkaroos. Yeah, Dunkaroos. 
Yeah. So in some ways, it sounds like there were some similarities in that, like both of our families, you know, had these structured mealtimes. We we sat at the table together, you know, our, our, our parents or our moms cooked, you know, they prepared balanced meals, even if they weren't like particularly like interesting or particularly like health focused. But in your case, you didn't get a lot of the like those things that were being advertised to you in commercials. Mm-hmm. And in my case, we did like my parents bought a lot of that. Like there was there were Cheerios. Right. And but there was also Lucky Charms and Fruit Loops and the junky cereals. And it wasn't really communicated to me, at least in a way that I can remember now that like you probably shouldn't have Fruit Loops for breakfast every day. <laughs> They were just Mm -hmm. there and they tasted good. So that's what I'm going to have for breakfast. And so I don't know if it's because of that, that now Sarah and I, it's a, it's a big priority for us to put those healthy options in front of our girls and to really make sure that they understand why it's important to consume like a wide variety of foods. I mean, I guess ultimately it comes down to, raising kids to not to like always have to choose the healthiest option, but to make ed- to, to have the knowledge and to make educated decisions. Yeah. And I think our guest actually has a good philosophy on this kind of thing. Cause I, I think he sort of has this, everything's on the table kind of approach mm-hmm. towards food, which I think is realistic. So it's kind of knowing I want to make sure that I try to raise kids uh, with enough knowledge about about food and about what's good for their bodies so that they can make good decisions when they need to. And then once in a while, just fucking load up on a honeycomb. <laughs> Gotta do it. Care. Gotta do it. Well, care. it seems like the right time to introduce Joel Farron into the conversation. What do you think, Mark? Um, I agree. Let's do it. So we are very excited to introduce Joel Farron to the conversation. Joel is known as the nutrition guy. He's a media dietitian. He's a nutrition writer and speaker, and he's a recipe developer. Uh, Joel's an accredited dietitian and nutritionist, which I, I want to know a little more about these accreditations. But I do want to say uh, we're, we're really delighted to have you here. So welcome to Modern Dadhood, and thanks for making time, Joel. No, thank you both for inviting me, inviting me on. It's a real thrill to be here. Joel, how did you become interested in nutrition? Look, I, I just love food. I get really interested and it took me a long time to figure out what I wanted to do. But I think the answer was always there. It was always something to do with food. I'm surprised it didn't, the penny didn't drop any earlier. I feel very lucky and privileged to do what I do. I get to work with something that I adore and, and that's food. And um, as I said to you, just before we jumped online is that uh, I've got a food, all foods fit philosophy. I think everything has its place. So one of the things that we like to ask guests uh, early on is uh, maybe tell us a little bit about your family. I know from following you on social media that you seem to um, get a lot of joy out of including your young daughter in your food preparation. And, um, and we'd love to hear about her and anything that you would like to share about your family. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess it starts with my wife, Jo. 
we've been together eight years now and uh yeah we've got a beautiful daughter we've also got a cat um i affectionately call him my firstborn (laughs) um i was never a cat person but uh yeah, Ruby came along September 2019 and we've got 2.0 on the way and uh, 2.0 will be arriving in July. So Wow. That's wonderful. Yeah, joining the two club like you fellas. Yeah. We've got a lot that we kind of want to chat about and Adam and I were talking about this just earlier before you jumped on. And it's a thing that comes up periodically in our discussions. Both of our kids snack. Like they snack and, and, <laughs> and they snack it, there, there becomes this struggle that, that we as parents have where if our kids are hungry, we we'll want to give them food, but we also kind of want to instill this whole idea of like, well, there are these things called meals and we want to sit down and we want to have these meals throughout the day. We want to have breakfast and lunch and dinner, and we don't want you to spoil these meals and the struggle that Adam and I get into a lot is that our kids just there, just on us. I want a snack. I want a snack. And you give them a little snack and it's not enough. And I I want more of a snack. And then we do finally get a meal in front of them. And they're kind of like, nah, I don't really want to eat it because I've had a lot of snacks. And I'm sure that that's a typical scenario that happens. Right. And I guess where I'm kind of going these days is like, should kids just snack? Like, should we just, if they're hungry, should we just allow them? I mean, assuming we're not going to give them complete garbage food, like it's not empty, calories. Is it right or wrong of us to try to push our kids towards meals, eating, sit down and eating three major meals throughout a day and having smaller snacks in between? I'm going to preface my answer by saying I'm not a pediatric dietitian, so I'm not an expert in the kids' nutrition space, but I'm a Mm. firm believer that we should be sticking, following our appetite. And I think- I mean, this is something I used to see a lot when I was consulting with clients one-on-one. And and there's some fascinating research showing that breastfed babies better able to manage their weight longer term than bottle-fed babies. And that's because this idea that, you know, the baby can decide how much it wants to take uh, from the breast compared to to mum and dad sort of running the show when when it comes to, to bottle feeding. And I think one thing that I've realized with Ruby, my daughter, is that she follows her appetite, which I love because I think as adults we've lost that ability to follow our appetite because we subscribe to this, these rules. You know, it's yeah. lunchtime at 12.30, you've got to eat, and it's dinner time at 6.30, so you've got to eat. But really just try to instill in Ruby this idea that her body knows best. I don't know her body better than she does. So I want her to decide. I mean, the thing is with snacks, it's not bad to snack. I mean, everybody's different. Some people run better having snacks between meals. Some people run better having three square meals. But I'm sort of – I have this firm belief that we should be listening more to our appetites and letting that guide us rather than these sort of old-school philosophies or um, ways of doing things that we need to be more structured with our meal times. Like, look, I think when it comes to snacks, I think if you can get those whole foods in, so be it fruit, be it dairy or some suitable alternative, maybe some vegetables, perhaps making it grain-based or including some sort of protein, then it's not necessarily a terrible thing. Things like cheese, yogurt, something fruit. So, you know, it just ticks ticks those boxes. 
Um, but you know, like you guys, I mean, I, I sometimes struggle with the timings as well because, you know, I go to the effort of making Ruby a meal and she doesn't eat it. She just wants to sort mm-hmm. of live on these snacks. So it, look, it is a fine line, but I wouldn't put too much pressure on your children and sort of, I'd, I'd love to see people encourage their kids more to just, you know, sit with their appetite, listen to it. They don't need to eat everything on their plate. They don't need to eat everything that they've been given. Really just try to um, instill that better relationship with, with food and more trust in their body as well. One of the challenges that we're having, particularly with my five-year-old daughter, is when we we do allow her to snack a lot, but my wife and I, you know, are conscious of nutrition and we've always instilled with both of our daughters this idea that, you know, it, it's okay to have treats and sweets sometimes, but you need to balance it out and have the healthy stuff too. And here's why. And, but the word snack to my five-year-old, it really only equates in her mind to something that came out of a package, uh, a granola bar or a, a Nutrigrain bar or goldfish or something like that but for her it's i'm hungry i want a snack and a snack is a nutrigrain bar so i i feel like i'm constantly trying to like retrain her mind that a snack can also be you know some carrot sticks um it's just uh it's one of the challenges that we're going through right now i, I don't know if i've got an answer for you but keep keep <laughs> trying keep plugging away with it um, I'm not even sure there was a question there, Joel. I was just—I just, I just <laughs> okay, need to vent okay, about I'll, it. I'll, 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 I'll butt out. But uh, no, look, it's—it's uh, it's really interesting to hear. Uh, one thing that we try to say to Ruby is that you know, certain things are on the menu today, and and certain things are not on the menu. So I don't know if that's a strategy that could work. That's actually amazing. I love that's that actually idea. amazing. That's that there's this pre-planned menu, and we're going to stick to this. That's that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. But still offering choice. I think that the choice is, is always a good thing. Too much choice is not a good thing either. Yeah. I, I, a tactic that we take sometimes, cause you know, we have, we have the same, we have the same problems and there are, there are things that the kids, we know they love and things that they, we know they hate and things that we know they've never had that we want to try to get in front of them. So we, the tactic that a tactic that we take, not that it works um, is we, if we're having a meal and we try to put a meal together that has a couple of parts to it, we'll always put something on the plate that we absolutely know they're going to eat. Like you're going to have the chicken and you're going to have the potatoes and you're going to have the broccoli, but you're also going to have this other thing. And the idea is to just, they'll be hungry enough after having something like that, that they'll just start to pick at some of the other things that, that they might not know whether they like or not. Although they're usually pretty sure that they hate whatever it is in front of them without ever having tried it. That's a whole nother issue. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can I just say, Mark, I, I totally agree. I, that's something, a strategy that we've employed at home as well is uh, we, we call them safe foods. So we know that Ruby mm. gonna, is going to, you know, eat those particular items on her plate. But I think, look, you're doing the right thing. I think regular exposure is really key. I think far too often parents sort of throw in the towel and they just – give up if their child refuses a food maybe once or twice. But the research actually shows is that we've got to be persistent. Yeah. I was having this discussion with my wife the other day and something that I was particularly mindful of when Ruby started eating was adding too much flavor to food. But I realized that Ruby's a bit of a connoisseur um, and she (laughs) loves flavorful food. So, you know, we're always trying to think of strategies 
to um, to bolster the flavour of a of a dish. So things like you know really good quality extra virgin olive oil, lemon juice, herbs and spices. Ruby's not averse to that. So um, I think if you can pack food with a heap of flavour. Yeah. That's also key, but that regular exposure and I think maybe taking the pressure off at mealtimes as well. I mean, a perfect example was last night. I mean, my wife and I, we don't eat meat, um, but we encourage Ruby to, to eat it. Our choices are more um, moral and environmental-based um, mm. than anything else. It's not It wasn't for a health reason as such, but um, more than comfortable for Ruby to have meat and it's my mother-in-law who will often cook um, things like spaghetti bolognese or uh, chicken dishes. And last night, Ruby had this beautiful apricot chicken that my mother-in-law made, served it up with pasta, some strawberries on the side and uh, some some veggies. And the only thing that Ruby ate from her plate was the pasta and the strawberries. Mm. Um, but, you know, inside I was like, please just have a little bit have a little bit of the chicken, have some veggies, but um, she just, last night she refused. So um, it's not that we're going to give up, stop offering veggies and, and things like chicken, but, you know, last night was just one example where it didn't quite work in our favour, um, but we really just try to take the pressure off and we don't force feed, we don't sort of, you know, we might lend a little bit of gentle encouragement, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, that to dinner, there could be a, an option for a snack later, but um, we're not going to necessarily go back into the kitchen to whip her up something equally as nutritious. Um, last night, that's just the way it panned out. That's another thing. I mean, everything you're saying is is uh, feels very relevant to me right now. Like last night, I, we uh, again, my my eight year old is. Um, I don't know if it's a growth spurt or what, but she's eating like crazy now. And even things that she is not particularly fond of, she's really good at sort of just working through them. It's my five-year-old. So it's a pretty common occurrence that one of us will prepare a meal. Last night it was salmon, some roasted potatoes, and a green vegetable, green beans maybe. And I know that my five-year-old is going to look at that and say, I don't like it. I don't want any of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my philosophy is, no, this is what is for dinner. If you don't want to eat it, you can't eat it. You don't like it. You don't have to eat it, but we're not just going to substitute it out for something else. I, I just don't know if there yeah. is there a right or wrong answer there, or is it just all kind of a gray area and you need to sort of figure out what works for you and your family? Look, probably an element of that. I- yeah, I guess knowing full well that there's going to be a backup option, your, your daughter's probably going to preferentially choose the backup option if she's not too keen on what's originally served. But um, something my wife often says is that you know kids they won't go to bed hungry; they're gonna mm. they're gonna eat something. Um, so you know maybe it's a matter of sticking firm, like the you know this is what's served for dinner. There's no other dinner tonight. Um, you know, Cheerios might be served in the morning, um, but that's not a dinner option. I do wonder, Ruby must have a a more experimental palate than most kids her age, because I assume you're always sort of presenting her with new and interesting things to try. Is that the case? I, I try, um, I try to cook different, interesting meals. I mean, I think the, the challenge that I face is, is trying to make, tasty and interesting meals that don't necessarily incorporate meat 
Uh, I'm, I'm comfortable cooking meat, but I, I butchered a, a chicken dish that I made for Ruby a little while ago and she refused to eat it. I think I just overcooked <laughs> it. It's been, it's been a few years now since I've cooked anything um, meat or chicken. So so that was a bit, bit of a flop. But interestingly enough, Ruby, when she started eating solids at around that five, six-month mark, that was at the start of the pandemic. So I don't know how it was over uh, your side of the world, but here we had like, you know, this pandemonium, people were um, panic buying everything from toilet paper to to all the foods on the um, shelf. So things like rice, pasta, breakfast cereals, they were, the shelves were empty. So we there was a real challenge for us um, early on to know what to be able to give her. And, and one of the things we stumbled on was edamame beans, soybeans mm. in a can. Ruby just loved them. So, so they're another safe food for her. But I think, look, the approach that I've tried to take with Ruby is incorporate her in the process. So we'll often, Ruby, we've got like a, it's called a learning tower. So Ruby's got like a place in the kitchen where she can watch and she can, um, she can help also do things like, um, you know, mixing or stirring and she can watch that process and, and be really involved. So it's something that I love to do is, is, um, get her in the kitchen with me. But like I said before, trying to pack in as much flavor as I can and just try to offer her a diverse range of food, I think as well. I think that's really key. And I mean, interestingly enough, you know, we're here to talk about children, but some of the research in adults, particularly around gut health, one of the recommendations is to include a wide range of different foods in the diet. So the, um, the recommendation at the moment is 30 different plant-based foods and you know, it might be the same for you guys, but the statistics here in Australia show that most people will have 18 to 20 different foods over the week. So it's just mm-hmm. not enough. So my approach has always been to, to mix it up for Ruby. And if that's different, different colored fruits and vegetables, offering her different grains, protein sources, you know, maybe I'm, maybe it's in part because of that approach to Ruby or maybe it's I've just sort of been lucky with a kid that's not too fussy, but Ruby's generally a pretty good eater. Um, and I really love that she just tries things. She doesn't even think twice sometimes. She'll just try it. Look, sometimes she spits it out like most kids, but generally she won't just thumb her nose at something and, and refuse to eat it without giving it a crack. Yeah, I have I have one that will kind of do that. He's a little bit more adventurous, you know, we'll just put stuff in front of him and and he'll try stuff. But the other, the other child is, is he puts up much more of a fight. Like we try to incorporate, uh, uh, our kids into the, the cooking and preparing process as well. And the one that really loves food and will try anything and he'll eat for, he'll eat, like he'll pack it away. He does not really want to be a part of the cooking process. The son that is very picky. And, you know, he's like, give me yogurt, give me granola. We'll call it a day. He wants to cook everything. He wants to be a part of everything. The other day we had him, he was chopping up onions. We've got these like big kids knives that are like plastic, but they're serrated so they can get through some tough foods. And, and he's cooking, he's chopping up onions and peppers and putting them in the bowl with the celery. And we were cooking this big lentil soup with like all sorts of, you know, uh, vegetables and stuff in it won't go near the cooked version of that food, but he loves to be a part of the process. I mean, he takes the stool from the, 
from the kitchen island and he pushes it over to the oven and he wants to pour stuff in and stir and he's very careful. He takes it really seriously, calls himself a chef. It's really interesting. I'm always like a good chef has to taste the food while he's, while he's cooking. So you, if you're going to cook with celery, you've got to try it. You need to know what it tastes like and he, he won't do it. I can't get him. I can't get him to be more adventurous. I'm trying, trying not to pressure him. I think that's a big takeaway for me. Something that you said earlier was to not put a lot of pressure on your kids around mealtime. And that's, and that's something that I struggle with because I really want my kids to have a good variety of food and have a good, healthy relationship with food. And it's, and it's hard to see them sometimes really turn their nose up at something that took a lot of time to prepare and put together in front of them, you know? You've hit the nail on the head. I mean, if I can just comment um, about the pressure that sometimes we put on kids and, and having instilling that healthy relationship with food. And I think about my own childhood and uh, my relationship with food was it was absolutely fraught. And, and I was, mm. a, I guess I'll say, a fat kid growing up and uh, I felt like I just couldn't win. Um, my maternal grandparents were Holocaust survivors and, you know, food was always central, but because I was the fat kid, on one hand, I should be eating. Of course, I should be eating, but on the other, I was too fat, so I shouldn't be eating. So uh-huh. I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't win, and um, yeah, I had a terrible relationship with food, and and the way, um, particularly, Mum used to talk about food being fattening, and you know, this being bad for you. Um, it's something that I'm really acutely aware of with Ruby, and I don't ever want to pressure her. I don't want to talk about foods being good or bad. And as I shared with you earlier, I've got an all foods fit approach and um, nothing's off limits for us. So I really want Ruby to have a better relationship with food. I think, you know, tick that box, uh, you know, as a parenting win, if, uh, if Ruby can grow up and, and sort of, you know, be comfortable around food, be comfortable around her body and, and really trust those those signals around hunger and fullness. I think um, I would have done a good job if, uh, if she can do all those. I think involving them in in the process of cooking. But but the other thing you said was involve her in the the in the writing of these menus, right? Because then she's taking ownership over, I helped to plan this, you know, maybe part of her will then think, you know, I need to be part of consuming this too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and maybe modeling that behavior. And I was thinking about it before we jumped on, um, something that my wife and I do is that when we're in the kitchen, some people reach for a glass of wine maybe it's the dietitian in me, but I, I reach for carrot sticks and cherry tomatoes um, mm. while I'm cooking and, and Ruby sees that and, and because we do it, she wants to do it as well. Um, one of, she's got like this weird, this weird habit that she'll just eat a mushroom just raw. Um, wow. and, and it's That's funny, wild. like she, she almost threw like a bit of a tantrum. We went to the shops the other day and we bought, we bought some mushrooms and on our walk home, she demanded to eat a mushroom. Um, neither of us eat mushrooms like that, but, um, you know, she's just discovered a love for mushrooms and, and we want to foster wow. that. So I think part of the, this experience is, is modeling that behavior. And, um, I think language around food is particularly important. Like I said before, you know, we, we, we don't try to talk about good foods or bad foods, you know, there are everyday foods, there may be holiday foods or sometimes foods, hmm. um, you know, there are foods that are, yes, of course, more nutritious and, and ones that are less nutritious. But at the end of the day, food food is food. So I think we should sort of attribute some sort of moral value on our food. 
I mean, and that's such a thing that touches every aspect of your kid's life, not just food, right? I mean, you want to try to model, you need to set the course for all the right types of uh, behavior. And this is something I wanted to kind of discuss with you. I feel like I used to have really good habits around food and like a really healthy, like a relationship around, around food in particular. And I used to spend a lot of time thinking about food. Like I was never a fully vegan or fully vegetarian, but like there'd be periods of time where I would take a month or two and be vegan, or I would be mostly vegetarian for a period of time, you know, and there's the organic foods and the superfoods and the ancient grains and all of that stuff. And, and it took up a lot of time and it took a lot of energy and, and it was something that I liked, you know, it wasn't like, well, I got to try it. It was something that I, I enjoyed and, and felt good about doing. But when kids came along, you know, sort of like to say that all of that energy kind of fell by the wayside is, is an, is an understatement, you know, and I've gotten suddenly it's been a couple of years and I find myself eating a handful of bread crust that the kids wanted taken off of their toast, you know, or they didn't eat all their mac and cheese. And I'm like, I'm not throwing it out. So let me just down the hatch. And, and it's, it, it's, am I building this weird association with what it means to eat, you know, in, in front of my kids? I mean, it's not like that all the time, but to think about trying to get back, do you have any tips or thoughts or, or ideas around how do I get back? How does it, how does a dad who's kind of fallen off the wagon, you know, try to get back to to having the time and the energy to to devote to thinking about food like that? Yeah, I think it's about maybe it's having your fundamentals, the things that you always do, hmm. but maybe it's about setting the bar a little bit lower. And you know, if I can level with you as well, when when Ruby was born, everything in my world changed, including my food intake. And somebody who you know, gets to call the kitchen, his office a couple of days a week, developing recipes. I, I lost that ability to even think about food and to mm. even think about preparing a meal or, you know, even just going down to the grocery store. I mean, everything changed. We relied on HelloFresh uh, for a, a few weeks just because it, you know, looking after Ruby and um, Ruby was prem as well. So I think it was just a, an, an extra little challenge that she was up more regularly maybe than some other babies, but I couldn't even think about food. But, you know, one thing I've always tried to do is is have some, some clear habits. I mean, I, I don't like this idea that, you know, people are sort of living and breathing food in that way yeah. that they're so, so conscious of it because, you know, you've got so much else going on in your world. Um, but I think, you know, knowing that at times food may not be the biggest priority, I think is also worth acknowledging. And and I think for us, when Ruby was born, I mean, I, I almost felt like I was Donald Trump who who once famously said that he, um, he didn't realize how hard president was going to be. Um, I felt like that being a dad, I just, no one prepared me. I was just not yeah. warned. Um, you know, I sort of used to make the joke that Ruby would be up in the middle of the night or, you know, my baby would be up in the middle of the night, but I had no idea what that would look like or what that would feel like. So, you know, hand on heart, I can say that, you know, yes, as a dietitian, I want to be eating well, but sometimes you can't all the time. So, um, you know, having things on hand, like, 
frozen veggies or tinned beans, tinned tuna, just things that are ready to go. I mean, my philosophy in the kitchen is is work smarter, not harder. So have things that are easily accessible. And I think it was you, Adam, who mentioned earlier that, um, you know, sometimes things come out of a packet, but not everything that comes out of a packet is, in, is inherently unhealthy. Um, I think, you know, we've got this idea that processed foods are bad for us. And, and yes, highly processed foods are not great for us, highly refined grains and, you know, fruit snacks that you find that do, do not resemble what they originally looked like. You know, they're the foods that are unhealthy for us. But, you know, I think these days I always say on, on one hand it's very easy to eat poorly because we've got food at our fingertips. We've got, you know, unhealthy food that is so easily accessible from the, the shops. But on the flip side to that, it's actually really easy to eat well. I think, you know, we need to have this idea that we, we don't want to necessarily aim for perfection. We want to aim for better. So maybe it's just about, you know, shifting that, that mindset as well. I think that could be really key. All great ideas. Well, I feel like I have a few really strong takeaways from this conversation that I'm going to yeah. implement with my family immediately. So thank you for that. My pleasure. Dads, you can follow Joel Farron at thenutritionguide.com.au. Follow him on social media. He has got a great Instagram page that's very colorful. And we will include links to all of his social media in our show notes. He has just released a new ebook that is packed with new recipe ideas that you should definitely try. Thank you so much, Joel, for your time, for sharing your wisdom with us, for talking family and fatherhood with us. And we want to wish you all the best this summer with the new baby on the way. Thank you so much. Been an absolute pleasure. Are we back? <laughs> yeah, we're back. Are we back? <laughs> yes. Did the music, did I stepped out? Did the music play? Yeah. I cute, I cute up the music. It, it after came the, on after it, the interview. It came on, it ramped up and now it's uh-huh. settled back down. And now's Joel's the time and, for you to present the funny thing. Joel's gone. <laughs> yeah, He's gone, man. Okay. All right. All right. So Adam, we all know Tony, the tiger snap, crackle and pop. Right, there are beloved serial mascots that you and I grew up on a first name basis with. Are okay. we doing trivia? But how well do you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but how well do you know some of the deeper cut of oh, serial quiz mascot me. names? I'm probably going to fail miserably, but I can't wait for this. Cue the like quiet thinking game show music that plays in the background. Okay. I have a series of five questions. Here's how it's going to play out. Um, I will give you the name of the cereal, Mm -hmm. and then I will give you a multiple choice cereal mascot names, and you will attempt to choose the correct cereal mascot name for said cereal. Can it make sense? In the unlikely event that I can name the the character before you get to the options, I'm going to toss it out. You get an extra five points if you do that. Okay. We're going to start kind of easy. Question number one. Cereal number one. Fruit Loops. Two cans ham. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Nailed it. Easy. Nailed it. What were, you, okay. what, were the, right. what were the options? The options were A, Parakeet Pete. <laughs> <laughs> B, Two Cans Ham. Yeah. 
Or C, Louis the Looby Penguin. Okay, all right. Cereal number two, Cocoa Puffs. Cocoa, I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. You all, we all know the tagline. It was another, it was another bird. Okay, give me the options. Cocoa Puffs, was the mascot named A, Sunny, B, Sugar, or C, Jimmy? Absolutely Sunny. A, final answer. Ding, 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 yes. ding, ding, ding. All right. <laughs> well done. All right, good. But you didn't know that one right off the, no. right off the bat. You pictured the bird. You could see the bird. Yep. He's got that spoon in his hand, that crazy eye. Crazy looking Crazy, eyes. wily eyes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cereal number three. <laughs> Cereal number three. Okay. Classic. Honey nut Cheerios. So the honey nut Cheerio B. Yep. Is his name A, Buzz, B, Sting, or C, Diabetes? <laughs> it was definitely... <laughs> I feel like you made this one really easy. It's definitely A. It's A, Buzz. Yes. Buzz. Okay. Cereal number four. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Yeah, can I can I throw one out? By all means. If you get this one without the multiple choice, I'm going to be very impressed. I think um, I think our audience will. I think our audience will as well. Is it Wendell? How the f- do you know that? Because I ate a metric shit ton of cinnamon <laughs> toast crunch growing up. We established now just, this. Now, just to be clear, that's not the full name of the mascot, but I am very impressed with the fact that you pulled Wendell right out of your cinnamon toast crunch butt. What, well, give me the rest. I, okay. I've got to know. All right. Is it A, Papa Crunchy? B, Dr. Cinnajohn T. Crunch? <laughs> What's the or T stand for? <laughs> Toast. <laughs> okay, of course. Yeah. Sorry, don't. Or C. Or C. Chef Wendell. Okay. Wow. All right. I did not. I didn't see that one coming. I don't know if I'm the only one, or if there are people listening who also are just blown away. I did not know that that guy had a name. Keith's out there listening. Keith knew Wendell. Ricky knew Wendell. All right. For the final round, we're gonna switch things up just a little bit. I'm going to give you the name of the mascot. You're going to tell me the name of the cereal. Oh, okay. Okay, you ready? Yeah, yeah. Diggum. Diggum. Can't get enough of that golden crisp. Uh, no. D- Diggum is, uh, is the frog. Honey Smacks. Ooh. It's a, no, no, no. Golden crisp. Bear. Oh. <laughs> so that's the right answer, but I but I flip-flopped, so I can't. It was, honey, it was Honey Smacks. Oh, it is the frog. Yeah, okay. it was the frog. All right. What about the uh, what about the cornflakes rooster? What was his name? Oh, Sonny. Turns out it was cornflakes rooster. <laughs> <laughs> so not not a lot not a lot of uh, uh, of ingenuity going on there in the marketing department at Kellogg's. <laughs> All right, I, I obviously wasn't prepared for this segment. This was a uh, uh, this was a wonderful surprise, and thank you for it. But I have one one question for you, and okay. it was there. There's a line of Halloween themed cereals. The most oh. popular of them is Count Chocula. You've heard of Count Chocula. Mm-hmm. Can mm-hmm. you name 
there there were at least two others, if not more, in mm. that series, but they were less. I know, popular. One, I know one. I know one at least. I need. Two. There was Fra- there was two. there was Frankenberry, Count Chocula. Yeah, Frankenberry. All right. So the theme are classic monsters. You've got Count Dracula. It's got to be Mummy something. It's not because no. It, 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 what other monsters were there from this era? The creature from the back, Black Lagoon? No, nah, go go simple. As simple as you can get. Just a zombie. No, even more simple. Werewolf? The most simple of goblins, Vampire. of apparitions. A ghost? Yes. Oh, boo, boo. It was boo something. Was it boo berry? It was boo berry. Yeah. So they had two berries. But, but it was Frankenberry. I know. And I just had that realization too. That is shitty. They could have done better. I think we should probably close the episode. This is a long one. I'm all right with it. I think it might be. I think it might be. But I think it's worth the trip down memory lane. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Listeners, you, if this isn't enough for you, you can go out there and you can find us at moderndadhood.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts. Give me another one. Come on. Fruity Pebble Cast. Let them fly. Flintstones Cast. Trixie Pod. <laughs> Trixie <you know>. Pod. <laughs> Dig them casts. <laughs> wherever you, wherever you listen, do us a solid. Hit that subscribe button. Maybe leave us a quick rating, a review, and at the very least, turn to your closest friend and tell them about the show. You can find Modern Dadhood on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. We would love for you to follow along with our activity on those platforms. And go to moderndadhood.com and buy yourself or someone you love a t-shirt or dad hoodie. They are comfortable and stylish. You know what else you could do? You could drop us a line at hey at moderndadhood.com. Say do an episode on this. Don't do an episode on that. We want to thank... Casper Baby Pants and Spencer Albee for the music that you hear in Modern Dadhood. We want to thank Pete Morse at Red Vault Audio. Uh, that's redvaultaudio.com for mixing our show and making us sound as good as we possibly can, considering we're still recording remotely. We want to thank Joel Farron for the awesome conversation about food and nutrition. And as always, my friend Mark Checkett will close out the show by saying... Thank you for listening.